Hello, it is Becky from Democracy. Welcome to Voice Memos from a Pleasure Activist. On this episode, I want to talk about activism as holy work. I believe that in order to be an activist, to be an advocate, um, we are doing holy work because we have faith in a version of the world that we have never seen, a version of the world where all people are free and all people experience abundance and joy. And I think in order to work towards that, we have to tap into forces that are greater than ourselves. So I'm today I'm going to talk about one of the ways that I bring the mystical into my political work. And something that you will hear me talk a lot about if you ever chat with me in person about activism work uh, is my chosen ancestors. And I have several chosen ancestors who um, I find inspiration from, from their stories, from what they were able to accomplish in the past. And I just have learned so many lessons that I find applicable to my work today from studying the stories of those who've gone before me. And usually those stories that I am drawn to are the stories of women or um, people who embody both feminine and masculine energies. Um, That's usually who I'm drawn to. So I wanted to share a very specific story from my life of how my chosen ancestors, when I invite them to accompany me on my activism journey, how they very tangibly show up for me. And the story that I want to share today, I think, is best told in the form of a letter that I wrote uh, to the musician Brandy Carlisle. I feel I'm like giggling. I feel silly saying it because I'm not usually the kind of person, whatever that means, who writes letters to celebrities. I just, that's not a thing that I usually do. Um, So I feel a little bit silly that I've done it. And I feel even more silly uh, that I am about to read you this letter (laughs) that I wrote to Brandy Carlisle, um, which I don't think she's seen. I don't know if anybody knows a good way to like actually get your letter to a celebrity. I'm all ears. Um, I like tried finding a way to email it to her. I don't know. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, I, but I think that this letter is the best way for me to tell you this story. I just think it, it, it'll, and you'll see why, um, as I get into it. So I, this is a letter that I wrote on November 30th, 2022. Um, And I'm going to read it for you now. Dear Brandy Carlisle, before I start this story, I want to reassure you that I am okay and the ending is not sad. It is kind of long, sorry, but simply too mystical not to share with you. On June 7th, 2022, I woke up numb from the waist down. I could walk and function and feel if something was touching me, but if you've walked barefoot off the beach while your feet are still covered in wet sand, that was a sensation in my entire lower body. Everything was a bit muffled. The first time I tried driving after the numbness, my heart was in my throat. 
I was terrified my foot wouldn't be able to properly navigate between the gas and the brake. I had to stop running on the trail near my house because I couldn't sense changes in terrain very well and nearly tumbled into the creek bed a few times. It took several weeks and a dozen hours on the phone with four different doctor's offices before I finally got a referral for a neurologist and an MRI. A couple hours after my MRI appointment, my neurologist called. I'm so sorry, but you need to go to the emergency room today. When I checked into the Dell Seton ER in Austin on July 14th, the attending doctor told me that I'd be receiving three heavy infusions of steroids to calm the inflammation that was causing my numbness, and I would likely be spending three nights in the hospital. I got my first infusion at midnight that night and somehow still managed to fall asleep in the midst of ER chaos. Early the next morning, they did additional MRIs on my brain and upper spine, and I got relocated from the tiny closet of an ER room I'd slept in the previous night to a big hospital suite on a high floor overlooking Waller Creek and downtown Austin. As I waited for the hospital neurologist to come in with his entourage and deliver the news of my diagnosis, I sat on the window seat with a brown plastic mug of weak hospital coffee. I looked out at the bright blue sky and cartoon cotton puff clouds drifting above the pink granite dome of the Texas state capitol. The most beautiful melody floated up to my window from somewhere down below. I craned my neck and squinted down to see the Moody Amphitheater at Waterloo Park venue, catty corner across the street from my hospital room. Some kind of angel was sound checking for a show that night. A quick search on my pocket computer let me know you, Brandy Carlisle, were that angel. Not long after, the doctor came in and somberly told me the initial MRI showed a waist-level lesion on my spinal cord that was causing my numbness. At a follow-up appointment, they showed me a cross-section of the lesion, and I was shocked to see how little margin there was around it. Wow, it's almost entirely blocking my spine. I guess it's kind of miraculous I didn't completely lose function of everything below the waist? I asked. The physician's assistant opened her eyes so wide and nodded her head so vigorously I was worried she was going to pull something in her neck. The MRI on my brain showed several more lesions that had apparently been there a while but hadn't caused any symptoms that I'd noticed. Probably because I don't actually use my brain very often. I joked to the room full of serious faces and scrubs staring at me. Someone had to lighten the mood. Because the words multiple sclerosis were hanging heavy in the air. Once the doctors left, I gave my husband a tight and tearful hug. And then I dried my eyes, put on some mascara and red lipstick, and made him take boudoir photos of me in a gauzy floral nightgown as I posed suggestively with the soiled linens bin in my hospital room. I pretended the IV stand was a stripper pole. I was overcome with gratitude for what I saw as my newfound permission to live with reckless abandon for the rest of my days, and I wasn't wasting a single second. The good news was that I would receive one more infusion of steroids in the hospital that afternoon and be released early with a prescription for the third and final dose, 25 steroid pills to take on my own over the next 24 hours. The first pharmacy didn't have enough to fill the prescription. The second pharmacy called and asked to speak to my doctor because they were sure such a shocking amount of steroids had to be a mistake. At 3.30 p.m., I bought a ticket for your show. 
At 7.30 p.m., I unhooked the IV, said goodbye to the nurse on duty, and walked out of the hospital's sliding glass doors and across the street to the Moody Amphitheater. My sunshine yellow and seedling green 70s caftan swirled around me as I floated to my seat and the stage lights came on. I somehow perfectly matched the dresses the Lucius ladies were wearing. They they were the openers that night. And I wondered how the universe had managed to curate even the smallest details of the evening just for me. There wasn't a single song that night I didn't weep through. Tears of wonder. Tears of gratitude. Tears of grief. Tears of joy. Tears of solidarity. Tears of disbelief at my incredible good fortune to be immersed in some of the most beautiful music I'd ever heard just hours after learning that I could lose my hearing completely at any moment should the mysterious whims of MS decide to take it from me. But at the end of your set, when you introduced your pride song and urged us to, quote, fight but remember to stay gentle, when you spoke of your affection for us Texans, when you noted that the people of Texas don't match the policies. I utterly dissolved into body-racking sobs. See, a few years ago, I quit my career in advertising and dedicated my life to trying to get the policies in Texas to match the people by inviting a greater diversity of everyday folks into the political process. Just two and a half weeks before my MS symptoms started, I'd thrown a big party called Yolentine's Day, a celebration of trans and intersex Texans. I wanted to let them know they were beautiful and loved, and I wanted to recruit more allies to fight for them in this increasingly hostile state. There were drag queens and ring pops and a wig bar and 90s-themed outfits and hyper-color cups. We were finding joy in the darkness. At Yellentine's Day, I also shared my story of discovering my own queerness in college after having been raised Baptist. I explained how I was holding out hope that we could open more hearts to trans people that I knew it was possible because my own heart had been broken out of its hard shell of homophobia through the gentle touch of a queer boy in my dorm who'd simply dared to live out loud as himself. As I sat in the moonlight at your show and truly took in the words to the song Stay Gentle for the first time, it felt like they'd been written just for me, as a promise that the universe was lighting my path, as encouragement to keep going. Your show that night was one of the greatest gifts of my life. I'm not sure anything I can put into words will convey what it meant. Thank you. The next day, I learned that one of my chosen ancestors I often visit at the Texas State Cemetery when I'm seeking wisdom, Barbara Jordan, also had MS. I had already felt a particular kinship to her because she was secretly gay. She was a black lesbian legislator in the South in the 70s. It wasn't safe for her to be out then. Finding out she had MS made her feel like a whole new level of chosen family. Just as an aside, I'm not secretly gay. (laughs) I'm bisexual, uh, but it wasn't something that I felt safe disclosing until fairly recently. I believe that as I gazed out of my hospital window watching the sun glint off the Texas Capitol and listening to your sound check, Barbara's spirit had a hand in getting me out of the hospital early so I could go across the street and receive divine affirmation through your music. I'd been planning to simply tuck this incredible experience into my heart and have that be that. 
But then over Thanksgiving, I read your memoir, Broken Horses. When I got to the part about your possibly a little bit gay Grandma Carol, who had MS and a sick sense of humor, it was like a flaming arrow straight to the marrow of my soul. I've now read these words you wrote at least 18 times, never without crying. There is nothing more real or more practical in this universe than mysticism. Remember that. And it's usually sitting right smack in the middle of grief. So now I believe Grandma Carol and Barbara Jordan had been in cahoots to get me to your show that night. And you know what? I went out afterward by myself to the best queer bar in Austin, Cheer Up Charlie's, and danced my ass off for them, though I thought I was just doing it for myself at the time. After all that, it just seemed like a mistake not to follow the omens and share this story with you. Last thing I'll share, the part in your memoir about how you fought to shine a spotlight on Tanya Tanya Tucker reminded me of a spirit pact I have with my chosen ancestors. I've got several in addition to Barbara, women whose stories have the power to ignite a new generation if only they can find their way to the right storyteller. Women like attorney Sarah Weddington, who argued and won Roe v. Wade in front of the Supreme Court at 26, just a couple years after she'd driven to Mexico to be able to get an abortion herself. Or like Lady Bird Johnson, who toured eight southern states courageously advocating for civil rights in 1964, despite the fact that those states were deemed too dangerous for her husband, President LBJ, to visit at that time. It was not that long before that that um, Kennedy had been assassinated. That's why it wasn't safe for him. But she was brave enough to go. I'm gaining so much learning these women's legacies in exchange. I feel I owe it to them to get their stories out as far as I can. My eternal thanks for everything you've given to this broken, bisexual, recovering Baptist. Mystically yours, Becky. So, as you can see, (laughs) I truly, truly believe that by inviting these folks, these chosen ancestors to join me on my journey. Um, Now they show up for me and in such beautiful ways. And I truly believe that it is my duty to repay them by sharing their stories as far and wide as I can. So to that end, I mentioned um, in this story, in that letter, that I often take myself to the Texas State Cemetery um, where some of my chosen ancestors are buried. And I truly, I can't even describe some of the amazing experiences that I've had, um, inspiration that I've gotten, ideas that have come um, when I go to visit these women's graves. And recently I had a friend visit Austin and we were getting lunch across the street from the cemetery. And I was telling her about my chosen ancestors. Truly, I don't shut up about them. (laughs) Um, And I was like, you know, the cemetery is just right across the street. Do you want to come with me? And I'll show you, you know, what I do. And so we went together and and I took her around and I told her stories that I had learned about these women. And she was just in awe. And she said something too that um, often when I tell people the stories of these women, 
people will be embarrassed that they had not heard even their names. Especially when I talked to people about Sarah Weddington um, this past Sunday was would have been the 50th anniversary of Roe v. Wade. And I set up an altar for Sarah as well as Jerry Santoro. Jerry Santoro uh, was a woman who 10 years before Roe v. Wade became the law, um, she had sought to give herself an abortion um, and it went horribly wrong. And she ended up dying alone in a motel room. Um, the police photo of that scene ended up getting published in Ms. Magazine and the outcry that that um, really graphic image stirred up was a big part of what galvanized the abortion rights movement. And so um, it was just really important to me to bring her story and Sarah Weddington's story, which you can find more of on the last episode of this podcast. I talk a lot about Sarah Weddington. Um, it was really important to me to bring those two stories to this celebration remembrance of um, the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. And again and again, people would say, I'm so embarrassed. I'm so embarrassed. I didn't know these stories. And I over and over told people, it is not your fault. It is uh, not valued in our society to learn about women's stories or um, gender expansive people's stories. It's not your fault. And that's why I think it's really important. We have to be so intentional about sharing those stories. So... Uh, that was what I told my friend <laughs> there in the Texas State Cemetery, and that's what I keep telling people over and over. Um, but it was such a beautiful experience getting to walk through the the headstones and share about these women in such an intimate way, um, and also just talk about you know everything that I had learned and, and ways that I had applied lessons from their lives to my own activism. Um, so now I'm offering that experience to folks here in Austin. Um, I'm going to be doing Texas Foremothers tours at the Texas State Cemetery. The first one will be on Monday, February 13th, which is Galentine's Day. Galentine's Day um, was invented by the show Parks and Rec. It's all about ladies celebrating ladies. Um, I'm amending it for this celebration. It's anybody of any gender um, celebrating these particular ladies, uh, Barbara Jordan, Sarah Weddington, and uh, Ann Richards, who was our last woman to serve as governor here in Texas back in the 90s. So we're going to visit their graves. I'm going to share a lot of things that I've learned about their stories. Um, I'm also going to share a tarot card that I associate with each of these women's stories to tie in kind of the larger archetypal lessons for us. You will receive a crystal chosen specially for you, as well as uh, some ideas and journal prompts for finding and connecting with your own chosen ancestors so that you can receive the kind of uh, mystical support that I myself have found to be so essential to my activism journey. But you don't have to be an activist to um, find the usefulness of connecting with chosen ancestors. It's really lovely just to do 
just as a human wanting to connect with the past, wanting to tie yourself to the greater thread of human history in the future too. So if you would like to snag a ticket to my Texas Four Mothers Galentine's Day tour, you can go to democrasexy.com and my events page will have it there. Um, I'll also put a link in the show notes. Um, Happy to answer any questions you might have about it. You can always, um, if you're a subscriber here to the podcast and my essays on Substack, you can just email me back um, or you can DM me on Instagram at democrasexy is where you can find me. Um, And I thank you so much for joining me here as always. Thanks for listening to my story. Um, And thanks for believing in a better world and doing your part to connect with powers greater than ourselves to co-create it. See you next time. Bye.